Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Would you pray with me? Father, as we look to this passage, as we look into your sacred and holy word, we pray that you'll be with us, that you'll be with my words to be useful to your people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Before we start into the sermon, I just need you to know that I cheat during uh, the morning prayer. I keep my eyes open because the little kids are just amazing. Did anybody else keep their eyes open during prayer? (laughs) Because if you did not, you missed out. There's a young little lady there. I think her name's Ireland. (laughs) She absolutely won me over today. Yes, so to Ireland's family, you're blessed. So um, we just read this passage. It's Transfiguration Sunday in the church calendar, and it's it's a good one for us to reflect on and look at. And... Um, It reminds me about how, as people, we would love to always be able to initiate and generate what we we might call mountaintop experiences. One of the things you can always see is if God is going up on a mountain with some people, you know something important is about to happen, right? So if God is ever calling you up to a mountain, brace yourselves. Get yourselves ready because something is going to happen. And that's why we take these moments away out of our normal life to try to do things. I read recently that... Uh, Aaron Rodgers, the football quarterback for some team up north who uh, is, has a long history of being overrated, um, they, he's going off and going to decide his future after like a four-day darkness retreat. I didn't bother to read any further because I thought, good for you. Go do that thing. I don't know what you're doing. I have no idea what that even is. I know silence retreats. Never been on one, but I've heard of them. Uh, but I know I've also led 20, 30-some youth retreats in the past, and plus youth camp and so forth. But we have these mountaintop experiences, and we tried to engineer them. We tried to generate them. We tried to schedule them. Kind of like when I grew up in a world down south, we would schedule the revivals. Apparently, God's movement could be put on a calendar in concert with a paid hired speaker. It's amazing how that worked out, and just like the, the moving of God's spirit was scheduled so neatly. Um, But one of the things when I took kids, students, 
to summer camp every year. I was involved with the summer camp in, in Ohio for 20 years on the board of directing it, executing it, planning it, and so forth. I would tell my students, we're going to go to this camp, and it's going to be probably one of the best weeks of your year. You're going to build memories and friendships. As a matter of fact, over the 20 years of that camp, there are many what we call Velocity Babies. Velocity was the name of the camp, and they were not made at camp, by the way, just to be clear. Because um, that would be, that, I mean, I guess that would be a highlight for some. But the, the issue was that the kids would meet from different churches, and they would marry. And then they would have all these kids, and then they'd come back as youth leaders. And I got to witness that and see that. But that week away would sometimes be this just spiritual high point in their lives. And that's beautiful. But what I got, what I came to realize is I needed to prepare my people to understand what we're doing. We're not just going to finally have a week away from the humdrum normal life so we can finally encounter God, so that we can finally feel his presence, so that we can finally have a moment with enough relief that we can carve out the space to find him. And no, I, what I would always tell my students is we're going to camp but we're going to come back. We're going there to come home. We're going because what we do here is a moment to prepare us for the bigger picture of what God has called us to do and where he's called us to be. So with that as our kind of uh, setup for looking at this uh, passage we refer to as the transfiguration. You see, in context, Jesus takes three of the disciples, just the key three, kind of the uh, executive committee, maybe it's his session within, I, whatever, you, whatever analogy you want to go with, he had a, a subcommittee of the disciples and he took them up with him. But when did he take them up? It was six days after, unless you look at Luke's account, it was eight days after, but you know, give or take a nice week. And he takes them up on top of this mountain, and if you go on one of the tours, by the way, I read this in like multiple places, they, 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 they say it's on this one mountain, uh, it starts with a T, I forget the name, um, but every scholar says it didn't happen there. The reason it's, they say it happens there is it's a lot easier to get tourists, apparently, to the top of that mountain, um, where the other one is a much more jagged hike. The other one, you can just take a taxi up. So apparently, Jesus is also able to, well, we won't worry about the historicity of the, of the tour guides over there. So Jesus takes the three up there with him, but it's in the immediate wake of him asking the disciples who do the people say I am? We're coming near the end of his journey. We're coming near the end of his ministry. He's coming to this place where he knows what he's being called to do. So he asks them, who do you say that, who do the people say I am? And some say Elijah, some say a prophet, some say this, some say that. Who do you say I am? And that's where Peter's shining moment comes through. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the gift from God who's going to lead us out of captivity and into the new kingdom where God reigns over Israel again. Oh, so you, you don't know this from human terms. You only know this because of the Spirit. And he goes on to tell them, upon this rock I will build my church. And of course, there's the big divide between the Catholic version of that and the Protestant version of that. Upon this rock, Peter will build the church, is how one church interprets it, and how we interpret it is upon this rock, confessing Jesus is Lord. Upon this rock, confessing and recognizing and believing that Jesus is the Christ, the sent one of God, to inaugurate, install, and administrate his new kingdom, his new heaven, his new earth. 
Upon that rock, I will build my church. That's why he says, I've now changed your name from Simon to Peter. You're Peter, little pebble, little stone. But then the rock is that confession. But here's something else beautiful. I love this about the, the Peter's moment there. In this moment, he has this confessional moment. You are the Christ. This moment where he shined bright, followed up by Jesus then telling him, and yes, and the Son of Man has to die. And I, Peter started to resist. No, 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 you can't do that. <laughs> you can't go there. And then Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. It kind of reminds me when I was a freshman in college. I was a freshman taking a January course. Not everybody was on campus. And I took a course with seniors and juniors. I took a course on the book of Acts. And our first couple papers were waited to be graded, and they handed back. And this professor had a very... Um, he had an artistic flair about him, so he, he said, to shame all the juniors and all the seniors, he said, I need you all to know who had the best and highest grade on the, on the paper. It is Ken, the freshman. Boy, I was sore and high. <laughs> I might as well have been Peter. You are the Christ, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, and then he, he, he passed out the second paper, um, which was a critical book review, which I had apparently zero idea how to do, and I got the lowest grade in the class. So, and he was made sure to let everybody else know that as well. And so it was kind of like one of those moments where I felt like I understood Peter. You are the Christ. Get behind me, Satan. Oh, man. You see, I love this up and down nature of Peter's life. I, re I resonate with him. He's, he's kind of like my favorite amongst the apostles. You can't pick favorites like children, right? Um, but... He's my favorite because I resonate with him because he often would say something boldly and occasionally it was really good. But then he would also say a lot of things where, you know, occasionally it wasn't really good. I connect with him. So Jesus takes them up on the hill after this great confessional moment. He takes them up on the mountain. He, Jesus did tell them that, not, that some of you will get to see the kingdom before you die. Some of you will see it soon. And I think to fulfill that, he takes them up onto the mountain. Uh, Luke tells us that he went up to pray. He took them up to pray, which makes sense because Jesus is making these declarations, but Jesus is always kind of a God, what should I do first kind of person rather than God, can you bless what I think I should do person? And that might be, if that, if that is the lesson enough for you today, that we should be, God, what should I do? Even when we're pretty sure we know what God wants us to do, take time. Get away and pray. He, Jesus needs to confirm what the Father is about to ask him to do. And while they're up there, while they're praying, all of a sudden this moment occurs. The light shines down. Jesus' face is shining. In some accounts, Jesus and then his new friends, Moses and Elijah, are shining. Uh, some of it, they're not. Uh, some have always asked, well, how do they know it was Elijah and, and, and Moses? And to that I say, clearly, I do not know how or why they knew that, but they did. I think it's interesting they just see that Jesus is, is just chatting with them. Who would love to get a transcript of that conversation? And of course, who does Moses represent? The giving of the law. Who does Elijah represent? One of the greatest of the prophets. The law and the prophets are testifying to who Jesus is. Who is Moses? He is one who died. Who is Elijah? He is one who was called up into the heavens and never experienced a taste of death, according to the scriptures. 
So Jesus is the Lord of the heaven, of, of the law and the prophets, and Jesus is the Lord of the living and the dead. And there they are conversing. And what an incredible mountaintop experience. His executive committee was so befuddled and, 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 and just thrown off. Again, Peter steps into his role. I should speak. And he volunteers in that moment to say, oh, let's, uh, let's get everybody together. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's keep this going. Let's play it again. Let's, uh, keep the, can we keep the worship service going? Let's, let's, just, let's, just, let's build a tent. I don't know what kind of tent he would build, but he was going to build one so that they might stay. And I love it. <laughs> See, because Jesus was not only testified to who he was by the law and the prophets, by Moses and Elijah, he was testified by the Father again. The same voice that came through the cloud when he was baptized. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son, my beloved. Here the voice comes through again. This is my son whom I called, whom I love. And I love it. There's this new addition to this one. Listen to him. As I was reading and researching this text, a quote from, Saint, uh, from uh, Pope Francis kept coming up and up and up. If you want to know the message of the transfiguration, it's listen to Jesus. <laughs> it's a pretty good one. No real argument there. That's a pretty good ecumenical message. So here they are. Peter is saying, let's build a tent, and God interrupts him. Not important right now, Peter. That's not the point of what we're doing here, Peter. This is my son. I love him. Listen to him. And then they're terrified. Rightly so. They're terrified and their faces hit the deck. Then the shine is gone. The guests disappear. And in their fear, shaking and quivering and face down, prone on the ground, Jesus does the Jesus thing. What does he do? The text tells us he goes over and he, he touches them. How many people did Jesus heal with his hand? A physical ailment, new sense of life, disease fall away. But here they had fear, they had terror, and he calmed them with a touch. And he said, rise. Some I read thought that that might be a, a hint and a foreshadowing of what is to come with himself, with rise. Stand up. Come on, let's go. And then he walks down from the mountain, the mountain where Peter wanted to just remain, where they wanted to stay forever, where they thought this is the beginning of the new kingdom for real. Look at him. He's glowing. Look at him. They're there with him. He has everything. And it disappeared. The thing is, did Jesus then transform? No, he didn't transform. He transfigured. There's a difference between transform and transfigure. This is who Jesus was going up the mountain. They saw who Jesus was on top of the mountain just for a brief moment, and then they come down. Some of you will see the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom, before you die. You are the Christ. Yes, I am. You know this because of the Spirit. And then he showed them who he was. But then what does he do? I put in the, the meditation, there's a little quote from William Lane. It said, the reality of his exaltation as the transfigured son can be appreciated only when the significance of his sufferings has been grasped. 
We can only truly understand the importance of Jesus shining like a light, the Son of God, in whom is well pleased on top of that mountain. We can only understand that when the fullness of his task has been completed by going to the cross, by going back down the mountain. N.T. Wright writes the par- that there's a parallel between the mountain and Golgotha the mountain of transfiguration, and the hill where Jesus was crucified. He said, here on the mountain is Jesus, revealed in glory. There, on a hill outside Jerusalem, is Jesus, revealed in shame. Here, his clothes are shining white. There, they've been stripped off, and soldiers have gambled for them. Here, he is flanked by Moses and Elijah, two of Israel's greatest heroes, representing the law and the prophets. And there, he's flanked by brigands, representing a level to which Israel has sunk in its rebellion to God. Here, upright upright cloud overshadows the scene. There, darkness comes upon the land. Here, Peter blurts out how wonderful it all is. There, he's hiding in shame after denying he even knows Jesus. Here, a voice of God himself declares his wonderful son. There, a pagan soldier declares in surprise that this really was God's son. You see, I think the message for us today is that we are not called to engineer our spiritual high place. We are not called to find our mountaintop experience and hang on to it for as long as we possibly can. That is not the peak and pinnacle and goal of the Christian life, is to find a spiritual high and place where everything is just buzzing and delightful and and filled with God's presence so that we can just sit and rejoice and sit back and rest in it. No. If you remember last week, we spoke about um, what God's true sense of worship was in Isaiah 58. Do you remember it? It was two weeks ago, I believe. Sorry, last time I was here. I'll refresh your memory. He said that the true fasting that he was looking for in Isaiah 58, 6 through 8, he said, this is, not the, has, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice? To untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free? To break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry? To provide shelter with the wanderer? Shelter with the poor? To see the naked and to clothe them? And not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawns. You see, we're not supposed to remain on the mountaintops, but we're supposed to, again, go down the hill, go down the mountain, go down into the valley, back into the grit and the grime and the pain and the suffering. Go down into the, into the normal, into the temporal, into the carnal. Go down into the place where the suffering meets the road. He tells them not to be afraid, and he walks back down with them. I imagine it might have been nice to see his old friends. I don't know exactly how the eternal Jesus, what his relationship was like with Elijah and Moses and just like whether that was like, how's it going? How are things where you are at? Update here. I got these guys. (laughs) Got stories later. I don't know what it was like. I just can imagine. Of course, you can see my imagination fills in a lot of details that are not scriptural at all. But then he left it. I imagine that had to have been good to just kind of let it shine for a second. Just kind of, hey guys, you want to see something cool? Ta-da! I imagine it was good to be with his people, to be up there and to be, but he walked down. He walked with them. 
He calmed their fears. He eased their anxiety. And what happens next? The very next thing he does is people see him. Oh, there's Jesus. We've got to find him again. And they bring someone who his followers couldn't cast out the, the, the troubled demon from the boy. He goes right back in dealing with the demon oppressed. He goes right back into dealing with the afflicted, with the sin, with the tortured, with the broken. I think that's a picture for us. That what Jesus did is he got tangible again. He got involved. He got gritty. He got messy. He got real. And he continued toward the cross. I think that is our call today. I think that is our call to recognize that on occasion, God may give us a high point. Enjoy that. Drink it in. Even ask if you can stay a little longer. Peter wasn't wrong to ask that. Some people might want to say, oh, there's Peter messing up again. No. I think you and I would want to be there too. But that wasn't the place to stay. I love coming to church. I was talking with a friend who's, yeah, he doesn't go that often anymore. He's, he's going through some, some rough times with faith, and that's all right. Um, he's journeying. When we talked, and we talked, to, we're, we've been on some of the same journey and asked some of the same questions. He looked at me Friday night, and he goes, you just really like church. I'm like, yeah, I guess I got, I'm, yeah, I'm guilty. Um, and it's not because I really just like all the, I mean, I guess I do. You know, you know what it is? Is I see that this is the space and the place where God gathers you. I got to talk with a few of you earlier about your stories, about your journey, about where you've come from, where you've been, what winters were like somewhere else, what work you've done. And I look around, and when we come to this table here in just a few moments, it's that beautiful th picture again where all, no matter where we've been through, no matter where we come, we are tied together. We are united because of Christ, because of the cross. Not because of the top of the mountain where he shone, but because of the cross where he gave, where he died, and he rose. And because of that, we are now tighter than family. I know plenty of people who don't talk to their family. We don't have that luxury, do we? We don't have that luxury of deciding who's in and who's out. We don't have that luxury of deciding ah, next year. Because we've been called. We've been gathered. We've been equipped. We've been filled. We've been sent. So as good as it is to meet with you this morning, and I talked with uh, Steve McLean, one of our pastors. He's now serving down in Dallas, but he's still in our presbytery. He's my uh, assistant chaplain in the presbytery. We, we co-chaplain the, the presbytery, and we prayed yesterday. He said, oh, I've worshipped at Kennett Square. Amazing, lovely people. What a and I thought it was so great. I said, I'm going to be at Kennett Square this week. I love that he could conceptualize. He could see where I am. He knows it. He also informed me that his wife, for a 45-minute drive back to where they were going, told um, him how great a preacher Andrew was and how, what lessons he should have learned from him. And, so he gave sent Andrew a message. Thanks, buddy. Um, I feel the same pain. Um, so that's the thing that we have here, is that Jesus may take us to a moment. Think back to that time, to that place, whether it was a college retreat, a conversation with a friend, a youth camp, a vacation Bible school, maybe just a hike around the Grand Canyon or some such mystical, magical place. Do you know the song, Our God is an Awesome God, by Rich Mullins? Brother wrote that because he was in awe of God driving through Kansas. Yeah, yeah, 
Yes. God can show up in all sorts of mysterious places. But he was looking out over the seas of... Is it corn or is it wheat? Yes. It's some foliage that's... And it waved. But he was looking at it in the majesty and just driving through hours, and he came up with, our God is an awesome God. Yes, God can meet with us in the high places, but it's to send us back down the mountain without fear. It does remind me of what did Jesus say to them when he called them to the last mountain before he ascended. Go, make disciples, teach them to obey in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go because I will be with you. I will be with you always. Some of us get a little frustrated that we have to sometimes be satisfied with God's presence is enough. Sometimes we want his action plan. Sometimes we want his, his, his conclusion. Sometimes we want him to say, God, I know you got a lot on your plate, but I've already seen how this should be, so just you know, stamp approved and we'll get this thing done. But is that how God treats us? Sometimes his presence is enough. But God will be faithful and will be present with us. Whether we're on the mountain peak or down in the valley with the gritty, with the tangible, with the hurting, and with the broken. So let me close by reading. I'm not going to sing because I won't do that to you because I do like you. I'm going to read an old hymn. Tis good the Lord to be here. Tis good the Lord to be here. Your glory fills the night. Your face and garments like the sun shine with unborrowed light. Tis good, Lord, to be here. Your beauty to behold. Where Moses and Elijah stand, your messengers of old. Fulfiller of the past, promises of things to be, we hail your body glorified in our redemption see. Before we taste of death, we see your kingdom come. We long to hold the vision bright and make this hill our home. Tis good, Lord. Tis good, Lord, to be here. Yet we may not remain. But since you bid us leave the mountain, come with us in the plain. May God be with us as we walk our next steps. Amen? Lord, we pray that you would just continue to fill us with faith as we take the next step forward. Lord, we would love to be in the middle of revival. We would love to be in the middle of, of things just working out and your glory being revealed so that we can see it and taste it and touch it. Lord, you've not promised that, that we will always see it radiate, that we will always be able to taste it or hear it. But Lord, thank you for giving us a glimpse these many years ago. Thank you for giving the assurance and confirmation that you are indeed God's son in whom he is well pleased. And Lord, so I pray and ask, help us to listen to you and to hear you and to obey and to follow you. This, Jesus, we ask for your name and for your glory. Amen.